Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He's like a superhero without the costume. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like today. Uh, Sherry sends an email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Uh, time for a change. I'd say mention who they are. Who's your phone provider, she writes. Name them, and maybe they'll actually fix it. Sherry, proud listener of your show. Thank you, Sherry. I appreciate that very much. And uh, Pat responds to Rick's email. Rick, you ready for this? Rick is a typical Canadian bigot. Ouch. Uh, Clinton lost because a large part of her electorate could not bring themselves to come out and vote for her or against Trump. All right. So I think we can get this thing to work like one line at a time. So 1-800-263-2428. I don't know. Scott, can you hear me? Hello, Scott. Let's see. Hold on. Don't anybody do anything. Let me see what I can do with this silly thing. Scott, uh, can you hear me? All right. So the phone has decided now that it is not going to work. I'm going to try one more thing. This is a, it's like an experiment. We're in the lab with the test tubes and all those poisonous chemicals, and we're mixing them. We've got the Bunsen burner working but we have no idea what's going to happen when we uh, light the thing. So what I want you to do in the studio, could you know how to uh, go to connection and then go to no director? Do that for me, please. In fact, let's just reboot this thing. Sorry, folks, to have to uh, put you through this and have you listen to all of this, but let's just reboot the system again and see... Uh, let's see if we can, uh, if we can make that happen. So what I can do here is I wanted to read you something, and now I have the time to do that. For several weeks now, I've been wanting to read you what David Remnick wrote, the editor of the New Yorker magazine, when he wrote uh, about Donald Trump's victory. And, and here, here it is. Here, this is what appeared in the New Yorker magazine on the uh, 9th of November. The election of Donald Trump to the presidency is nothing less than a tragedy for the American Republic, a tragedy for the Constitution, and a triumph for the forces at home and abroad of nativism, authoritarianism, misogyny, and racism. Trump's shocking victory, his ascension to the presidency, is a sickening event in the history of the United States and liberal democracy. On January 20, 2017, we will bid farewell to the first African-American president, a man of integrity, dignity, and generous spirit, and witness the inauguration of a con who did little to spurn endorsement by forces of xenophobia and white supremacy. There it is again. It is impossible to react to this moment with anything less than revulsion and profound anxiety. 
There are inevitably miseries to come, an increasingly reactionary Supreme Court, an emboldened right-wing Congress, a president whose disdain for women and minorities, civil liberties, and scientific fact, to say nothing of simple decency, has been repeatedly demonstrated. Trump is vulgarity unbounded, a knowledge-free national leader who will not only set markets tumbling, but will strike fear into the hearts of the vulnerable, the weak, and above all, the many varieties of other whom he has so deeply insulted. The African-American other, the Hispanic other, the female other, the Jewish and Muslim other, the most hopeful way to look at this grievous event, and it's a stretch, is that this election and the years to follow will be a test of the strength or the fragility of American institutions. It'll be a test of our seriousness and resolve. It goes on. Early on Election Day, the polls held out cause for concern, but they provided sufficiently promising news for Democrats in states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, and even Florida, that there was every reason to rethink about celebrating the fulfillment of Seneca Falls, the election of the first woman to the White House. Potential victories in states like Georgia disappeared a little more than a week ago with the FBI's director's heedless and damaging letter to Congress about reopening his investigation and the reappearance of damaging buzzwords like emails, Anthony Weiner, and 15-year-old girl. But the odds were still with Hillary Clinton. All along, Trump seemed like a twisted character, caricature of every rotten reflex of the radical right. That he's prevailed, that he's won this election, is a crushing blow to the spirit. It's an event that will likely cast the country into a period of economic, political, and social uncertainty that we cannot yet imagine. That the electorate has, in its plurality, decided to live in Trump's world of vanity, hate, arrogance, untruth, and recklessness, his disdain for democratic norms, is a fact that will lead inevitably to all manner of national decline and suffering. He worked on this. In the coming days, commentators will attempt to normalize this event. They will try to soothe their readers and viewers with thoughts about the innate wisdom and essential decency of the American people. They will downplay the virulence of the nationalism displayed, the cruel decision to elevate a man who rides in a gold-plated airliner but who has staked his claim with the populist rhetoric of blood and soil. George Orwell, the most fearless of commentators, was right to point out that the public opinion is no more innately wise than humans are innately kind. Mr. Remnick adds, people can behave foolishly, recklessly, self-destructively in the aggregate, just as they can individually. Sometimes all they require is a leader of cunning, a demagogue who reads the waves of resentment and rides them to a popular victory. The point is that the relative freedom which we enjoy depends on public opinion, Orwell wrote in his essay, Freedom of the Park. The law is no protection. Governments make laws, but whether they're carried out and how the police behave depends on the general temper in the country. If large numbers of people are interested in freedom of speech, there will be freedom of speech, even if the law forbids it. If public opinion is sluggish, inconvenient minorities will be persecuted, even if laws exist to protect them. And it goes on. An American Tragedy, written by David Remnick in The New Yorker on the 9th of February of this year. Mr. Remnick... Um, writes that elections... Why did I read this? About elections being um, a poll. Well, of course they are. That is how elections are run. They are a poll of the opinion of the electorate as to who should run the country in this case. There's just this anger in this... 
non-stop fury from the left that is so disturbing. And I go back to Michael Benarian, 22 years of age, cares so much about his country and about the electoral process that he gets actively involved, and at 22 years of age is selected as a member of the Electoral College. And at 22 years of age, he has to put up with death threats simply because he's doing what he's mandated to do, what the law establishes, what electoral law in the United States establishes, and that is that the Electoral College will make the final decision, and you heard how the Electoral College is chosen. So Mr. Benarian has to put up with these goons who are sending him death threats. It's really deplorable. Speaking of deplorable, that's deplorable. Not the basket of deplorables that Madam Clinton was talking about. But deplorable is that this young man has to put up with death threats. Others in the uh, Electoral College also have to put up with death threats. We'll take a break. When we come back, I'll tell you about a very interesting hour that's coming up next. Stay with us.